Please be seated. We have a strict no technology policy on our, on our youth pilgrimage. Um, for those of you who are new here or visiting, we, we take our 10th graders on pilgrimage every summer for a week or so. And this summer, uh, we went up to Juneau, Alaska, and we stayed at the shrine of St. Therese of Lisieux, which is this beautiful place um, set up and run by the Catholic Archdiocese of Juneau. In none of our kids had their technology. I had my phone. Um, well, you know, parents might want to call and check up on them, right? And we don't let them take cameras either. So, so the, me and the other two adult leaders, Jeff Pope and Catherine Furman, we had cameras and we had phones. We took lots of pictures for them because we want them to see with the eyes of the heart is Phil Cousineau, uh, the author of Art of Pilgrimage and our kind of guru on pilgrimages, uh, says. And they do. But know that when you take phones and iPads away from teenagers, it is not a trivial thing. <laughs> and look, all you out there, it's not a trivial thing for you either, is it? To take your phone away. Try deleting your Facebook app for a couple of days and fasting from it. You'll find yourself waking up a little anxious, perhaps. And you know, who can live for a day without their New York Times crossword puzzle or, more importantly, our favorite dachshund puppy videos? <laughs> Unthinkable. And it's not trivial because these little rectangular miracles of science and technology represent some deep, deep things for us all, especially for teenagers, namely being seen and being heard and maybe even being loved by other people. That is true for all of us. Think about how perhaps some of you during a time of tragedy or stress might have shared that online and asked for prayers and had people post prayers ascending and how that felt for you. Think about times when when we've been through tragedies like the one we just went through and how you gathered so much information that it overloaded you, but maybe some information about uh, moments of grace that happened even through the worst of times. It is not a trivial thing to remove that connection. And so most of the week, um, we would sit out on the front porch of this lodge we were staying in, and it was beautiful. And... Jeff and Catherine and I would wind up sitting out there uh, debriefing from the day. And then the, one of the first nights we noticed we didn't see any of the kids around. Now, I don't know about you, when you're, when you're with teenagers, when it's real quiet, you get suspicious. And so we kind of split up and started looking for them. And I went upstairs finally, and all ten of them were crammed into one little, like, eight-by-ten-foot old nun cell just crammed in there together and it's stifling hot because the windows don't open and it's Alaska we don't have air conditioning and I, I looked in there a minute and you know it didn't look like they were doing anything bad they were just sitting there talking and I, and I looked at Mary Anglin Toole who's sort of the designated teenager translator for the week <laughs> and I said 
I said, Mary Anglin, what are y'all doing? I mean, come downstairs. I'll, I'll, I'll make food for you. Sit in front of the, the fireplace, you know. Um, and she just looked at me like I was the dumbest thing in the world. And she said, you know, we like being in here together. I said, well, what are you doing? She said, oh, no, this is the standard answer. Oh, just chilling, talking, you know. It was beautiful, though. It was so old school. Bunch of teenagers crammed in a room together, looking at each other and not doing this. Talking, laughing, giving each other a hard time. You know, doing what people do when they're crammed in a room together, when they're present together in one place. Without those phones, they had to connect with one another. And you know, all of us have this in us then, and I think phones speak to this, this deep, deep, deep desire to be connected to other people. And you know, that gets met by some very good ways and some very harmful ways by our phones. I mean, my kids are here tonight, and it was several moments last night, I, I got called down and said, put your phone down and talk to us. You know, I repent. But you know, teenagers, I think, we have to look at this story and learn from it because they, they are walking embodiment of raw desire, aren't they? They're really led by what they want. And you know, this in of itself is not a bad thing. Um, there's, a, there's a book I would commend to any of you interested in working with teenagers, and it's called Woo! And uh, it's by this, this youth worker named Morgan Schmidt, um, and she calls it her theology of desire. And she says that, that in these desires, uh, the church has made this huge mistake in telling teenagers, well, you know, those desires that you have are bad, they're evil. You know, you're wanting to be stimulated and to have fun and to be able to talk to your friends is a bad thing. You know, get into church and get over yourself, right? And I think we suffer from that sometimes in, in, in this church, you know, because we don't always connect that desire to what the church is doing. And we... The implication is that you, what you want is wrong. And I think that's a horrible tragedy. She says that, that if we are to draw people into the church, and I, I don't think this just stands for teenagers, we have to connect people's desires with the living Christ and what is good news for them in Christ. And you know, I think we get a lot of this today out of this one passage out of Galatians. And it's a huge tragedy. Christendom has used this passage as an excuse to strip the church of everything beautiful and interesting and passion-filled sometimes. Because Paul writes, and, and it's been translated this way, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. I mean, it's ridiculous, though, to think that for a second he meant what he saw in our teenagers' desire for community and connection to God on pilgrimage, or that he meant um, what, what we use our phones for in connecting with other people during thin times and during rough times. He wasn't thinking that. Ridiculous to think that, that he meant that we're to live without passion and desire in the church and all the beauty and truth that comes out of that. Well, I got some good news for you. We've been the victim of some bad translating, first of all. And you can look it up. What he really meant was selfish cravings. 
and lusts. And I don't know why all the dead white guys who translated Galatians for us would have ever thought to translate these two words as passions or desires. Because passion and desire is different from craving and lust, isn't it? I mean, come on, cravings and lust are the root of much of the evil that happens and the plot line of most Hollywood movies that we see. They encourage destructiveness and competition and even violence. The hit list of sins that Paul puts up, the list of all the baddies, you know, all of them, if you stop and think about it, uh, have a direct line that can be drawn back to both lusts and cravings. So I want to go ahead and publicly rehabilitate passion and desire today as being from God. Let's do that. Passions and desires are containers of the divine. What Paul even calls the spirit at work is what passion and desire look like when they are connected to the faith that we live. Around here, when I see things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness, and yes, even self-control, at work among the young human beings that I work with, they're always traced back to things that they're passionate about. Get a kid who loves music and loves to sing, playing the guitar with you for a couple of hours, and you see God in that. Get a kid who loves going out and working with people, um, tutoring a refugee or working at Meals on Wheels Atlanta, and you see the spark come alive in them. Passion is everywhere here at All Saints. Folks, just look around you. You know, look at the, the very way that this place was built. We could have built a big metal box, you know, and, and, and left out these beautiful stained windows and, and, and just had recorded music. But we place this, this premium on beauty and truth as a way of, of, of capturing how we feel about God and the passion that we have for God and the desire that we have for other people to see God. It's all around us, folks. You know, this week, you're going to get a chance to share your passions and desires with other people. And yes, it's in the rather mundane and boring form of a survey that you're going to get on the 29th. And you're going to get to, to, to be honest about what you are passionate about in this church and what you desire for this church. And you're going to be able to, to share a little piece of your story. And, and, and all this that we collect together, all this information, all this data, all these stories that we collect together as a family are hopefully going to help us get a clearer picture of who we are. And you know, when you read the results, you're going to be surprised by some of them. You're, you're, you may not even recognize some of the things that you see when you read it. And you may have questions about what you read. And, you know, see in that what other people are passionate about for the church and what other people desire for the church. Because this survey, this survey is going to crowd us all in the same room and force us to look each other in the eye and share the same air just like the kids did on pilgrimage. And see, in this way, even a survey can be holy work because it enables us to be curious about each other 
and to learn from each other and to ask questions about each other. And when we do that, that's when all those good things that Paul listed come forth, don't they? You know, if you, if you ever read our diocesan mission statement, it's full of passion and desire. We challenge ourselves and the world to love like Jesus as we worship joyfully, serve compassionately, and grow spiritually. In that statement, we see lots of desire for God and desire for the world to find God's healing and love. So friends, let's, let's joyfully celebrate the rehabilitation of passion and desire because they are indeed outward signs of our connection to God and to eternity and to what Jesus is doing in the world. They are the divine at work within and around and through us all. Amen.